it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Bruce News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. This week I talk about beer with Scott and Renee McKinnon from Wolf of the Willows. We've spoken to Scott once or twice before about particular topics, but never about the backstory to Wolf of the Willows business. Today we discuss what led them as a couple to start as a nomad brewery way back in 2014, find out what their inspiration was, and also a little bit about the progress to taking over the site of the failed Albatross Brewing just as COVID hit last year. We learn how they survived for the last 18 months and also what it's like as a married couple running a brewery at the best of times and particularly through a global pandemic. It's a great chat with two wonderful people that I've been looking forward to and had hoped to do live in presence, but you know, COVID, but I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Scott and Renee McKinnon, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having us. Now, Scott, you're no stranger to Beer as a Conversation. We had you on, uh, Prof had a chat with you back in 2018, uh, talking about uh, a collaboration you had with uh, Lark in those days. And then we also checked in with you at the start of COVID last year when we ran the Antidote live podcast. But we've never gone back and chatted to you both um, about the thing that is Wolf of the Willows. So uh, really excited to, to do that. And uh, who wants to start with the story? What, it, what What is the origin story? I know Scott started home brewing with his dad, but what was the uh, thinking behind getting your own brewery together and you both going into it? Well, uh, we started out, as you said, Scotty was doing some home brewing at home and uh, we were getting pretty excited about all these great recipes and wonderful beers that he was creating. We had a couple of young kids, they were pretty young men, so uh, it was a bit challenging at times when he did his home brewing at home, so we had to move him out to the garage. <laughs> and then, yeah, one thing led to another. We thought, let's like, let's launch a beer, let's uh, you know, give it a crack and see where it leads us. Uh, so we, uh, we were gypsy brewing at Cavalier and we started out there and the first beer we released was our XPA or Extra Pale Ale. And yeah, it went off with a bang. Yeah, we were a bit surprised, really, how well it went. <laughs> Look at hearing hearing that story, like that there is an element of suburbia in, in in that you know you're not the only wife that's kicked her husband out of the house to make room for, <laughs> for for the brewing in the in the garage. And but there's still a huge step between having a hobby that you know more or less preoccupies you. You know, some people play golf, but they don't all go pro. What was it about brewing that made you both decide that this was something that you wanted to found as, as a business together? What was your background, Renee? So I came from uh, wine marketing. So I've been working um, for a, yeah, a distribution company, family-owned company for about seven or eight years. Uh, I was on maternity leave at the time when we uh, decided to launch our first beer. And, uh, yeah, given with my sort of wine marketing background, uh, we thought, well, we've got a little bit of knowledge, I suppose. It's probably a bit different. Obviously, the beer industry is different. Um, but, yeah, and I'd also worked in hospitality as well. So 
I had a few contacts, um, so that that certainly helped being able to go out and try and sell a few kegs. Um, so yeah, that's how we sort of thought. Well, let's we've got a bit of knowledge, we've got a bit of industry um, connections. Um, let's see where it leads us. And yes, one thing led to another, and we thought, well, we better keep brewing this beer. So it's getting good reactions. So uh, yeah, it just kind of went from there. And Scotty was happy because it was yeah, it's his passion as well. So. Um, just really wanted to see where it went. It was good. And, and again, Scott, you discovered the art or the you know the the, the joy of brewing with your dad. Um, but was that something that you went through school going, you know, this is something that I want to do, you know, when I finish school? Or did you have a, a a career in between that led into opening a brewery? So my parents, we had a well, we still have a farm at Nanagoon, which is southeast of Melbourne, and. Uh, it's almost a suburb now, which is a little disappointing. But on that farm, so my parents would always have cattle, pigs, chickens, a uh, pretty decent orchard. Um, so very about that growing up in that environment where creating the produce that you consume yourself rather than just purchasing it off the shelf. And, yeah, the, uh, the ginger beer brewing in more the traditional ginger beer brewing, which is almost like kombucha if you do it properly. It was ironically, it was actually mum who sort of led that a lot um, and dad enjoyed drinking it. But um, yeah, and I think that sort of um, ingrained something in, in, I know it sounds cheesy, but in my soul, like literally that, um, uh, that probably traveling overseas and seeing what the American craft beer scene was doing, um, had the luxury of uh, being exposed to a couple of breweries in Colorado when I was working over there. And um, I think that planted a seed and coming back to Australia at the time, there was nothing, like literally nothing. I think actually Mountain Goat opened two years after that. Um, So then the sort of the foundation started to occur for the industry. And, um, yeah, I went off and, sort of did a corporate thing for a while and quite frankly it helped pay for the brewery and meeting Renee and sort of getting exposed to the more the commercial aspect of the kind of booze industry in particularly Melbourne but Australia more broadly and um, you know Renee sort of understates it but the company she worked for there was what 150 plus sort of uh, different wineries Wineries, under the the different portfolios so it was a pretty um, decent organisation and just seeing how that worked and taking some of the corporate knowledge I had and obviously the passion for brewing and going, well, we think there's a genuine opportunity here and the way that probably the drinking culture and consumer culture of Australia was changing, moving away from big business and becoming more educated. I think that's probably another good point um, that there was a lot of there's a lot more access to information about where products come from now than even there was 10, 15 years ago. And, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're actually seeing that now with, you know, obviously the, the incremental growth that I suppose indie or craft beer, whatever you want to call it, is, is having in the industry. I'm interested in, in picking up on that point that you made about having grown up on a farm and it, it gets into your soul or, it, you know, you just have an awareness of the seasons and things aren't immediately available on demand, just going down to the shops. 
um, and, and how that comes into the, the, the contemporary idea of craft beer and being local um, and, and something that, uh, you know, all that comes with being small batch. Does having grown up on a farm change your relationship with those concepts? Um, again, you know, like I, I think of my children who are very city uh, grown up and whilst they, they know the idea and, you know, that they like the idea of not having, you know, huge corporations supplying their food, that's all they've ever known. And so it's an idea rather than that real awareness. You know, they, they've always had strawberries 12 months of the year as opposed to, yeah. you know, the three or four months a year that even I did growing up. Well, I think about our fridge right now and it's full of asparagus. And because it's asparagus season at the moment, well, it's it's and it's actually going to be a reasonably lengthy one this year. And I've got really fond. Now that's come from a farm that is probably about a k and a half from my parents' farm, and it's still a family-owned Italian farm. And uh, the nonna who I remember from when I was, you know, five six years of age, she's still the one selling. Of course, the uh, polystyrene box is full of asparagus for cash, cash, and um, but that is one thing. Like I love asparagus, and I think it's because it's that 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 is the seasonality of it. That getting proper fresh asparagus is uh, it's a luxury. It's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful things on on. Uh, oh, I, I love it, and it's also uh, looks like hops <laughs> when they sprout too. So there's a little bit of a link. Um, Are we going to see yeah, a bit of the willows? Asparagus beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I might be a bit grass, I don't know. Too much chlorophyll in that. But, uh, um, but yeah, I think, and the, the, like thinking about how we plan the brewery and how we, you know, even like looking at hop contracts and and the like and uh, our, our grain management, you know, like we had huge silos on the farm and, you know, I learned very quickly, don't, don't put your hand in the auger and um, <laughs> little things like that, I think. There's a lot of flow through into brewing. Um, yeah, just understanding that and dealing with our suppliers and understanding the trials and tribulations they have with, you know, seasonality, drought in Australia and, and the tyranny of distance too that we have. Tell me, tell me the idea for Wolf of the Willows. Um, so that's your background. You started Gypsy Brewing. Was it, we'll just see how it goes or was it to scratch that itch that was that was there or was it always an intention that was the start of something that was going to, you know, organically and incrementally grow? I think it just kind of happened. We, we were a bit sort of shocked ourselves how uh, well received the first round, of, you know, the beer that we released. Um, and then from there we just, uh, yeah, we, we started to meet these great people in the industry, uh, crop beer, and we're like, this is, yeah, well, this is where we want to be. Uh, so we, uh, you know, Next beer we released was our India Saison, wasn't it? Our well, hoppy Saison. Let, let's step back because the first beer was an XPA, um, which yes. again, I, I was intrigued when I went back and looked at the launch media release that said, um, Wolf of the Willows will produce Ales of Distinction beers that make people pause. The Ales are designed to play within style guidelines, let's stray a little from the norm. And it's, it's quite interesting that, you know, XPA was pretty much already straying from classic styles from from the beginning so what was the the thinking about launching with the xpa uh i think it probably came from well it did come from originally drinking american pale ales fresh in america 
and obviously them being a little bit more having, I suppose, more caramel malt to them, um, more, sorry, more crystal malt and more caramel flavour to them. But then those beer, trying those beers in Australia after they travelled across the Pacific and basically, to put it politely, not, not tasting at their best and that, uh, I suppose, aged or optimised flavour of crystal malt is something that I detest. It just doesn't play well in my my palate. So the extra pale ale was basically a pale ale with those malts ripped out and um, obviously using Galaxy as an Aussie hop to really accentuate um, that sort of extra hop flavour and, yeah, dry and crisp and just, yeah, really suiting, I suppose, the Aussie Aussie weather, the Aussie environment and obviously the um, the foods we're lucky enough to get exposed to from, you know, particularly Southeast Asia, all those um, lovely herbs and and alike that uh, work quite well with the beer. Okay, so so you went from the, from the XPA and then to an India Saison, um, again, you know, not a classic style and certainly playing, uh, to, to use your words, um, you know, straying a little from the norm. At the time, and this it's an interesting thing, Matt, like at the time there was almost really a, a polarity between really extreme beers that were being imported from, yeah, predominantly the US um, versus sort of the line and length beers that we've all grown up with in Australia. And to sort of take a different style but still make it um, approachable, palatable and actually work, as I mentioned before. I think that a big thing for me or for us is, yeah, we're so lucky to have, going back to the you know <laughs> seasonality, we're so lucky to have all this fresh produce in Australia and such a variety of differently culinary influences. And so beers that can be drunk that actually have flavour but um, can be consumed with food without being overbearing at a, you know, a minimum, but more importantly can actually enhance the experience that you get with um, eating some of these foods was, yeah, kind of where we wanted to play. And um, the India Saison, um, my old man has been a massive fisherman all his life and the India Saison was just one of those lovely flavoursome beers that you could consume with shellfish or with, um, fresh tuna and just a whole plethora of different seafood, but it not be just a boring lager, which, you know, obviously lagers are great. Like, stop, still like lager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm, I'm thinking more of what the beer, at the time, at beers at the time. Everyone was trying yeah. to go away from all that. It was all these crazy different pale ales and, yeah, yeah saison. Sorry, I'm, I'm more talking IPAs. about the macro, the macro lagers that yeah. are just yeah, obviously stripped out. But, but again, you're, you're using a lot of the language um, of that you know, period about 10 years ago when craft beer was still very much, you know, the idea of craft beer was still very much a rebellion against the monoculture that had gone before. But we are seeing, you know, on one level, a maturing of the idea and a lot of brewers going back to lagers, for, for example. And one of the things that I've said, you know, is there's also been an element of running the you know, surrender flag up the, the, the pole a little bit, uh, you know, 10 years ago, you know, I was hopeful that, you know, confident that, uh, you know, the percentage of people that would move from 
fairly crisp, clean, line and length lagers to craft beer would be 30, 40, 50% of the market because there was a, people just hanging out for it. And that hasn't quite happened. Um, you know, have you noticed the same thing? Well, I think it's interesting. Like even the description you read in the uh, press release, like we focused on that ales of distinction and that was almost the kind of subtle middle finger to that macro lager sort of mentality. And it's, you know, and we're, we've eaten our words, you know, and I think that comes from, from a brewing perspective quite, for, you know, openly mm. now understanding what lagers can be and how to brew them well versus when we started the business, you know, hand on heart, I, I couldn't have brewed a lager at that point. <laughs> I didn't understand it properly. And I think now what we're seeing is that the, I suppose, the, the knowledge within the craft beer industry in Australia and the way it is openly shared has increased, you know, tenfold. And so brewers have been learning off each other and yet again more access to information, more people being, you know, internationally educated in the brewing um, qualifications. And so I think that as an industry we've been able to produce better quality craft lagers, which, you know, quite frankly, have, have opened my eyes to, you know, it, how a, a beautiful, the beautiful beers that can be brewed with those. But at the same time, we're seeing, and, and this is absolutely no criticism because I've been drinking a lot of them myself, is we have seen brewers actually targeting that same space. You know, Heads of Noosa up our way um, you know, is making lagers only, but their flagship is a Japanese lager. You know, a lot of breweries are starting to go for that, you know, bulk sell lager down to a price. Um because they're realising that the market hasn't necessarily come with them the way that the early days of craft beer, uh, you know, was hopeful that we'd convert everybody. Well, the interesting thing is one of my best mates, and he's from the US, and he'll drink every beer we make, but he's always saying, I just want to cause light from you, Scotty. I just want to cause light. (laughs) And um, We've all got a friend like that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's just you know, but 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 he can appreciate you know the big barrel aged beers, and he he doesn't turn his nose, you know. Not he, I've got other mates that are like, nah, too much fruit and flowers for me in that one, you know, that kind of expression. But um, he's not that person. But it's just interesting. Some days he's like, I just want a beer that's a little bit lower alcohol, just smashable, and I can have a couple and not have to think about whether I can drive or, you know, just, just nice and easy. So it's, um, yeah. yeah. It's always a place for it. Exactly. <laughs> and I guess particularly because it, you, you took over in 2019 the Albatross Brewery, um, hoping to launch just as COVID played its wicked game. Um, when you've got your own venue, I guess you have to think a little bit differently about the beers that you have on offer Um or I could be wrong there, but uh, I would have thought you have to ha- make sure you have some beers that broadly appeal as well as being the, the, the beers that the brewers want to make. Yeah, that's very true, actually. We we do have, um, well, we have worked on a few, couple of different beers that we feel really work well um, as that sort of, uh, you know, go-to keep most people happy beer. Um, one beer in particular, the Wolf Pup, um, hazy, a little hazy pale ale, so 4%. 
um, and just so approachable and people just, yeah, it's probably one of our biggest sellers um, in the tap room, but also becoming one of our biggest sellers um, in retail as well, which is excellent. Um, and just, yeah, just really tasty beer. Um, still a pale ale, which is great, you know, so there's still a place for those kind of ales. Um, and and I guess, yeah, we've recently done a, a lager um, that we're sort of trialling at the moment. Um, it's actually a, a, a hobby locale yeah, lager, local lager. Um, which is something, uh, well, our brewers and Scott had been um, noticing was becoming quite a big trend in the US. Um, so, yeah, we're just sort of seeing how that sort of plays out here least at the tap room and um it's been released as a limited um beer as well but be interesting to see how that works in the australian market it's interesting to hear you know, how fast trends come and go in in the industry and still the first brewed ipa that i had in australia was yours scott and we had a, a great chat about that what that meant you know about this notion of craft when craft brewers are embracing enzymes for a variety of purposes and uh, that was what 2018 Yes. That yeah. sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it came and went and, you know, India Saisons came and went and, you know, some styles seem to have a little bit more longevity, even though that they're fairly new. How how hard is it to, A, formulate, you know, keep on touch, in, in touch of these trends, work out which ones, you know, are, are worth pursuing, you know, trying to guess which ones are going to have a little bit of stickability? <laughs> I think... Um... Well, the irony is the, the the hoppy locale lager is pretty much the love child of the brute IPA. So, um, <laughs> interestingly, we ended up using some of the enzyme in the India Saison just to make sure that there wasn't any uh, lovely sugar left for the, that lovely Saison yeast to keep on eating um, in, in product. But um, this is where <laughs> we kind of run it like, a bunch of beer nerds, the business a little <laughs> bit, like where the, the the new kind of shiny thing is something that we want to master, I suppose, from a brewing point of view. So we'll kind of jump on it and have some fun with it. And I think that's kind of the beauty of the craft beer industry and being still small batch that you can do that. You don't need 12 months of uh, corporate red tape to jump through and, you know, 100,000 litre batches to kind of do that. And I think... Um, that's a big part of what we want to, what we're proud of within the business and we want to retain ongoing because I think it keeps all the staff interested with however involved they are with the process, whether they're the brewers or whether the people serving it at the bar or the people out on the road selling it. If they've got something that's kind of got a form of the art of brewing in it and it's new and interesting, then it, it, it keeps them fresh. You know, I think if, if for example, on the brewing side, if all our brewers were just brewing XBA 90% of the time, we'd probably have a different, I suppose, a mix of the people we have there and we'd probably have a different culture within the brewery as mm-hmm. well. Um, so having a bit of variety and brewing different beers I think is a really good thing for the business. It, it was interesting. I spoke at the, you know, essentially the butcher's equivalent of the IBA, talking about, you know, it's the independent butchers who are up against the big supermarkets. And on one hand, you know, when I was doing a, a beer tasting with them, they're going, oh, I don't like these fruity beers. I don't like these beers that should have an umbrella in and things like that. And yet <laughs> when I was looking That's at the... One. 
yeah, you know, it's <laughs> and, and I completely understand where they're coming from if they're drinking, you know, the Great Northerns uh, and, and that sort of thing. But I was also judging in their sausage competition, and in addition to the pork, you know, and, and a pork sausage is a pork sausage. You've, you've got your supermarket pork, and then you've got your butcher's pork, and it's probably the difference between a mainstream lager and a craft lager, you know. Um, you can taste a little bit more, but it's very hard to quantify, you know, the couple of dollars a kilo difference um, between it. And, uh, you know, so they had the pork, the beef, you know, their continental, but then, you know, they had, you know, sea urchin and uzu sausages and things like that. And, you know, I sort of said, well, that's what you're looking at as the whole craft industry. Um, you know, you need a reason to pull people past the supermarket to to walk into your butcher shop. And, you know, these are sausages that probably a small percentage of people buy, but it marks you out as being a little bit different. Um, you know, is that the analogy that tap rooms operate on you, you need these beers that keep the brewers interested that show that you're different to a mainstream pub that just wants to pour the classics you know play the uh, jukebox you know karaoke hits but you still need to appeal to people that just want beer that tastes like beer see th- this is the problem though man i'm converted i'll always buy the best sausage i can get my hands <laughs> on i'll buy the best bacon we'll have to see it yeah, what's yeah, the best? You know, like that's the thing. You know, there, there are some there are some amazingly good pilsners that you know what's gone into it, and, and sometimes you need to have that additional knowledge to appreciate what's gone onto it that makes this valuable, because your taste buds don't always, you know, taste thirty dollars difference in price. I think now everyone's a lot super local too. So I think seeing where it's made and the source and like, especially if you come to our brewery, like you'll, and and when the tap rooms open, the tanks are just there. Like they're just basically looming over you. Um, So it's all out, all warts and all. And I think um, even actually if I could find a silver lining with lockdown and COVID, I actually think people have become a lot more hyper-local and just, wanting to support that family-run own business. And, yeah, we really try to show that we, we do everything. We brew it. It's like a, you know, a culinary chef in a kitchen or something. Like they're, they're just putting their heart and soul into the dish that they're preparing, and that's what we're doing with our beers as well. And, um, yeah, look, you, of course you're going to get the people go, oh, why, why does it cost that much, you know? But it's like, well, that's because it was aged in a barrel for nine months and then, you know, <laughs> so much work's gone into that beer and, you know, it's like you'd spend a lot of money on a really good whiskey, um, hence why the beer is also, um, we've treated it in such a way as well. So it comes, yeah, a lot of education as well through it. But, yeah, you get all sorts. But I think, yeah, especially now, I think everyone's just really happy to be supporting their local businesses and local breweries and, um, yeah, just really getting behind behind that, which has actually been really positive, if we could find a positive part. <laughs> well, tell us about COVID because you, you'd not long opened or you were just in the stage of opening when last March COVID changed, you know, our, our experience. Tell us about how you got through that um, and, and, and what was the thinking and, you know, how you managed to survive. Uh, well, we... Uh, I guess, yeah, if we take it back to last March, uh, we were about to open the tap room um, and all of that went out the window, obviously, Um, and we had to, which we hadn't planned to at the time, but we had to create an online store within about five days. I think we did that. Um, Just sort of whip that up. 
and uh, much like a lot of businesses did and just purely went online. Um, obviously, uh, it was a pretty tricky time because, you know, we do have a, a good wholesale market as well. So we had a lot of kegs sort of sitting there with nowhere to go. So, um, yeah, we really had to uh, kind of turn the business around and uh, from what was probably predominantly as far as our wholesale business, probably 80% keg uh, tap product on premise. Yeah, we had to really flip that to retail and, um, yeah, obviously a lot of time and uh, uh, effort went back into pack- packaged beer and now we're probably more skewed to packaged <laughs> beer <laughs> because of it, um, which, yeah, which we'd like to see sort of even up again <laughs> um, back to on-premise. So, yeah, I have to say the last couple of weeks has been very exciting to send kegs to our pubs. That's probably a very happy time for us. So. And have your pubs come back to you? Yeah, they have actually, yeah. They've we're very fortunate. Um, we've got some great customers and people. Yeah, we we've always been checking in on them as well, and they yeah we've got some great relationships in the industry. And thankfully, um, yeah, we we've just been really pleased to see a few kegs hit their taps, <laughs> and just so happy that they're opening. And yeah, we, it's just a really good vibe actually. So it's really nice. I think the biggest thing is that. Hospitality people, by nature, as it suggests, want to show hospitality. So I think um, that connection to their consumers is something we've really noticed has probably, apart from all the financial stuff and being restricted movement and everything like that, I think for people in our industry more broadly, that lack of human contact has really kind of knocked a few around. And I think, um, yeah, we kind of identified that pretty early and wanted to do whatever, you know, inch by inch, whatever we could to, to still maintain those connections. And, um, yeah, we're pretty chuffed that a lot of these really great, um, particularly, you know, obviously we're Melbourne-centric, but a lot of these great pubs which are really just meeting places, they're proper old school, you know, the, the community pubs uh, have come back and, yeah, they, 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 they haven't dropped off the way there was the potential to, to happen. So, um yeah, testament to the resolve a lot of to of a lot of those people who've done it pretty bloody hard. So yeah, it's interesting you say that because one of the big differences between Queensland and Victoria, and I'm not opening the door for a joke there, um, is <laughs> the, the the difference in hotel ownership and the, the the business behind pubs. You know, up here we've just have seen huge um, pubs that are pokey fueled. Um, as soon as venues are, you know, largely funded by pokies, the focus shifts to being, you know, cheap booze, cheap uh, food um, and get people in to lose money on the pokies. And that seems to be a, you know, judging by the size of these venues, a lucrative business model, but not a good one. Um, and that's driving the desire to pubs in Queen- to, to um, brew pubs in Queensland because they are what that sense of community that you're describing there. Do you have a national focus and, you know, does the difference in temperaments and business models between states influence, you know, your plans for distribution? Look, I think, you know, and I think back to the beers that you and I've shared, Matt, when I've come up to Brizzy, you know, like great 
couple of hours we had at the Bloodhound mm. many moons ago and I look at that as a venue and go, that's exactly the type of place that, first of all, we like to go and have a beer and are pretty chuffed to have our beer poured in, you know, historically family-run pub, um, good people behind it, um, got style, it's got a bit of class and, you know, a bit of, bit of you know, character and I think um, we're Melbourne-centric simply by geography. We, now that things, you know, are opening up again and we are able to travel outside of Melbourne very shortly, um, you know, we'll continue to, um, you know, look to sell product in particularly the East Coast. But it's just been impossible, mate, to, you know, like long-distance relationships are hard <laughs> at the best of times. <laughs> and they're hard to service if you can't travel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and... Yeah, so we look, we, you know, like really in your hometown, you know, we've, we've dropped off a lot in the last couple of years simply because we haven't been able to come up and have a beer with people like yourself and the publicans and we hope to rejuvenate that. But, um, yeah, we're not the type of business that will just chuck a rep on the road and go, go sell. Like it's <laughs> kind of got to be, it's got to, they've got to kind of understand us and the culture and want to be part of that. Um, it's not just a transaction. It's a, it is, so, yeah. What happened? Yeah, we need face-to-face yeah. time, you know. Yeah. yeah. I'm a, I'm I, make it. used to come up to Brizzy. <laughs> oh, particularly uh, in, in summer. Actually, come up in winter because it's great to escape a Melbourne winter with a, a, a Brisbane one, you know, 24 degrees and clear blue skies. But anyway, enough bragging. Um, right, done. <laughs> given the shift to package from keg, as the industry slowly reopens down there, how is your capacity, you know, if your package holds up and you go back to the, the normal um, keg, uh, you know, volumes, are you going to be able to supply both of those with the capacity you've got or are you going to have this, the problems we've seen elsewhere? If we maintain the same package volume and then go back to the keg volume we had, let's say, 20 months ago, then we'll be able to sustain in the in the current location because mm-hmm. um, we, we massively overtooled it when we took over the shell from Albatross and we, um, yeah, so we, yeah, we, we basically got a, a chiller system that could, yeah, create Antarctica. Like we, <laughs> we, we, we spent a lot of time, effort and money in making sure that it was able to sustain more tanks and now floor space is becoming an issue, but um, that's kind of for Scott and Renee to deal with in six months. <laughs> for future years. To probably honestly answer your question, mate. Uh, well, I'm I'm making a diary note that uh, I'm going to check in with future Scott yeah. and Renee and uh, see, see what the, it's like in six months. But you did talk yeah. about long distance relationships. Um, Husband and wife working in a brewery is a very, very intense, short distance, close relationship <laughs> where you're going home together, you're working together. Tell me about your experience w- 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 with that. Have, have, have you had to renegotiate the relationship or, you know, make plans for how you make it work? You know, what, did you go into it with a romantic idea of this is going to be us, you know, together working? And uh, what was the reality of that? How do we explain this, Scott? <laughs> 
It has its moments. It certainly has its challenges. Yeah. I, I wish um, I could have taken a photo just then. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, we're still together and married, so, you know, gold star there. Um, no, it's, look, you know what, it's actually been awesome. Like, we, we're stronger like this. We actually work really well together. And um, I'm really proud of what we've built and the challenges that we've faced as a family. I'll get emotional, especially over the last, you know, year, homeschooling the kids. And, yeah, we've really had to, um, we've really had to team up. And, um, yeah, like it's not perfect, but, you know, you just you got to put one foot in front of the other and sometimes try to make time for each other as a married couple as well where we can. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, if I look around now, I'm really proud of what we've achieved right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it, love, love is there, but respect will get you over rougher seas. And, um, yeah, the respect I have for Renee is, cannot be quantified in words. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I actually say, I mean, I, did, I don't know if we weren't a husband and wife team whether we like it in some ways it's made it easier to deal with the challenges of the past yeah probably 18 to 20 months um because we haven't had a cast of thousands that you have to put every decision to and you know being able to be and i don't want to use all those coin overused phrases but being able to make a decision now and implement it in five minutes' time has probably got us through. And, um, yeah, that's um, testament to, <laughs> yeah, probably having a no-bullshit relationship <laughs> where we shoot from the hip. So, uh, yeah. I probably swear a lot more, which is great. <laughs> and it's going to be good when the kids go back to school. So. <laughs> oh, well, it, it, I'm sure it would have been a unique uh, experience for them, you know, on, on top of the you know, homeschooling and things like that. But has it been getting through COVID, I guess, when one partner works in a business and the other, you know, separately to it, they become an impartial sounding board where they're not deeply, in, you know, which has its advantages in that they're outside of the problem. But then over the last 18 months, having somebody who, you know, is walking in the same footsteps or in the same footpath as you are and is intensely aware of what's going on and has that empathy and understanding. Is there one that would have been better than the other, having someone to sort of, you know, listen to the problems without being engaged in them or, you know, how, how does that work? We, I can't, we can't speak for the other side. I think everyone's cup has been pretty full. And if you have the other partner that has their own challenges with the workplace or uh, stress levels or basically mental well-being, that to then burden the other partner with your problems and your challenges could potentially tip them over the edge. So I don't know. for, For us, it's probably taught us to trust our gut instinct. We do a lot of walking and cough walks in the morning and... Try to have those debrief. That's actually one thing good that's come out. We try to have a bit of a board meeting walk <laughs> with coffee in the morning. And, um, yeah, because 
um, yeah, we, 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 uh, there's many challenges that we, we both have to face at times, but, um, but I guess doing it together kind of actually makes it a bit easier. Um, yeah, and also we probably just don't know any different, really. <laughs> the grass is always greener, I suppose. Every now and again we have a moment, oh, I could, wish I could do something else and you do this, but um, I don't know. It's just it's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, I am conscious of the time and I'm, I'm, taking, I, I'm taking the entire uh, executive team uh, out of the business while I record this, <laughs> which is the other, the, the other side of it. But when... Where next yeah. for, for Wolf of the Willows? Getting the hell out of Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's us personally. No. Yeah, well, that, that's you personally, not the business, or you, you, you no, do want to open some of those long-distance relationships nah. again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably as a business trying to give everyone the, the – I, I, I say that jokingly, but probably giving everyone in the business the opportunity to kind of draw a breath, kind of find their happy place again and recharge the batteries a little bit. Yeah, a big thing for us as a business is, yeah, getting outside and getting out with nature. So um, that's – and I know it sounds silly, Matt, but probably facilitating people to be able to take leave and, you know, that puts always puts a strain on a small business when people do it. So that's been a big part of what we've been trying to plan for. Uh, for us, so I have officially given up uh, begrudgingly and through clenched hands, uh, the mantle of head brewer. So we've actually um, a well-deserved promotion for Josh Kendall, who's been with us for, yeah, he, he basically joined us about midway through last year. So, yeah. um, so Josh comes from originally Holgate and then Colonial and then uh, he went and started and was head brewer for a brewery in China. And then obviously when COVID hit, uh, yeah, it's pretty obvious what happened there. <laughs> he came yeah. home. So, um, and Josh and the brewing team, give credit where credit is due, are responsible for, yeah, but I haven't, I'm very proud <laughs> to say that I haven't actually um, had much involvement with the beers for probably about six months now. So, um, and the, the variety and the quality that they're producing is, yeah, much better than I could. So, um um, there's some cracking um, beers coming out now. So, so, but that's a big decision for you, given that you loved the you know the, the reason you're doing what you're doing is because you you know loved the the, the making of beer and to, to to step out was that because you didn't have the time you had to focus on the business or was it to make sure that you had staff who had a career you know that they weren't the second brewer that they were stepping up into the leading role what was the the, the thinking around that look i'll shoot from the hip we pre- we produced the beer that aged poorly in package that was the enigma pillows and that was um uh very disappointing to myself to see sort of you know six to eight weeks to see a beer that we put a lot of time into but i was probably a bit distracted to be frank and um it was probably about that moment that I went, no, I've got to focus on running the business or I've just got to get someone else in to run the business and I focus on the brewing. And the reality is that probably my skills and my age now, I'm probably better to <laughs> probably move more into running the business and, you know, moving the needle that way. Um, and, 
you know, Renee and I directing the culture of the business. It's a massive thing. So, um, and yeah, the right people came along. We're very lucky to have, I suppose, the the synergy between the brewing team that we do and the different skills that we have in there and how they complement each other. And yeah, if you don't allow someone to do their job and they've got motivation and drive, they're just going to look for it elsewhere. So, um, yeah, Josh has um, well and truly earned that. And, uh, yeah, he, he's, yeah, the beers are, <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm very proud. They're, they're mind-blowing, mate. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a natural thing that should happen. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, look, I could keep chatting for hours, but I'll, I'll be honest, I can't wait till we can travel because uh, I don't mind admitting that I had a bit of a tear in the eye hearing you both talk about what it was like uh, working together. I'd, I'd lo- I'm really looking forward to sitting down and trying these uh, beers that Josh is making and having one with uh, you, you both. But thank you very much for joining us for, for, for this conversation and uh, you know all the very, very best as Melbourne reopens and uh, we, we can see what next for uh, Wolf of the Willows. Thank you so, Matt, so much, Matt. Yeah, yeah really appreciate it. chatting with you. <laughs> Look forward yeah, to having really you for a beer, mate. Down, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. I, I, I was meant to be in Melbourne uh, around the time that you were opening last year and that just hasn't happened. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed it'll be very soon. And that was Scott and Renee McKinnon. If you're a listener, don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. Obviously, it's on Facebook. And if you are there, just search for Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show. Just a couple of dollars a week helps us out. Um, Otherwise, you can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service. That also helps other people find us and tells them a little bit about what the show's about. Leave a good review, a bad review, just leave a review. It really does help us out. Also, you can contact us by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts on the conversation. And we do have bar blades and prizes for people who take the time to do any of those things. Thank you very much for joining us and we'll be back later this week with Bruise News Week. Bruise News.